Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. Nick, good, thank you. Very, very well refreshed after the uh, Hawke's Bay long weekend. Uh, and it, well, wasn't the weather great? It was beautiful. Spring is in the air, Nick. It is almost it's coming. Got, almost got the Barbie out. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, th- I think there's a few Barbies that would have had the uh, the rust dusted off them over the weekend. Yes, indeed. Now, before we uh, talk on today's topic, we're going to have a look at a bit of the OCR now mm. retiring in New Zealand. Just to remind our listeners, uh, Stuart Group been in business in Hawke's Bay for. 35 years, isn't it? Yeah, 35 years. Yep. That's right. Yeah, so uh, going strong, you know, f- you know, family-owned business. We've got an office in Wellington as well. But, um, yeah, it's been a very rewarding experience helping helping out the community of Hawke's Bay and uh, Wellington with um, their financial their – fi- let's just call it their financial planning. Yeah. How are you different from other financial planners? I mean, if I, if I went to a bank, for instance, mm. and spoke to someone about insurance or mortgages, they could probably help me. What makes you guys different? So the difference is that a lot of people have a product to sell, whereas when you take a step back and you think about financial planning, so we actually want to get an understanding of the client's needs, objectives, goals, cash flow, where they're at, where they want to be, and then we work on a plan. Mm-hmm. And the resulting uh, products or um investments that we um, put into that plan, they are determined at the end of the process, not at the start. So it's all about the client and well, you know, that's global best practice. And look, you know, sadly the number of advisors in New Zealand has continued to shrink as more regulation takes hold and there's some more regulation in our industry in March next year. So overall, a little bit like many of the other global jurisdictions that we look at and have friends and you know they've got the same thing just a number of advisors is shrinking so therefore getting someone that can help you out at that holistic level and walk in your moccasins with mm-hmm. you there's just not that many of us as there were in the past and look even the bigger end of town like the banks even the banks have thinned out all of yeah. their uh, financial advisors yeah can anyone hang a shingle up and say i'm a financial advisor or is there more to it than that yeah, there is more to it than that because you actually have to be uh, qualified, you then have to be registered, and as of March next year, you also need to belong to an entity or work with an entity or own an entity that is also registered and regulated in its own right. What guarantee does that give the customer? Well, it gives a guarantee that the person has to be upfront and has to give full disclosure of about themselves, about what they are potentially are going to earn. Um, and look, most of the time, it's it, it, it's a principles-based approach, and it's putting the client first and giving the client as much information as possible so that the client can make an informed decision. The aspect of well, what other protections does it give? Well, it means that through the regulatory mechanism, 
if advisors are found to be unbecoming, then they are removed from the industry mm. um, by the regulator. All right, going to talk about the OCR mm. in our world. Well, it seems like the, the world's going to hell in a handcart at the moment, financially <laughs> speaking. Is that the case, or is it not as doom and gloom as I was I'm thinking? Sometimes it can feel like that just because the news is just so strong in a particular theme. Like over the weekend, there was numerous articles about recession. Um, you know, I can go back and give you articles from um, early 2020 mm-hmm. where it was just a flood of articles talking about that we're up for a you know, humongous recession, if not a depression. Mm-hmm. And of course, it turned out that that did not occur and that those that pulled their capital to the sidelines missed the bump, the bounce. And, you know, once you miss the bounce, it's very, very hard to catch it back up again. Will we close to a recession? Mm, no, we're not at the moment. We actually dodged it recently where we actually had a positive um, GDP, uh, gross domestic product, actually increased over the last quarter, which meant that we didn't enter recession. The definition of a recession is two quarters of negative growth, mm-hmm. consecutive quarters of negative growth. Well, we haven't had that. It doesn't mean that we won't in the future. But just at the moment, you know, a lot of people, is, you know, glass is a little bit half empty at the moment. Uh, people are a little bit glum. They look at yeah. the, they read the global tea leaves and they feel a little bit more pessimistic than they did. And domestically, you know, we we do have a lot of domestic inflation. Um, yes. We, the, you, know, you know, we've had, we've been told that it was imported. So in other words, caused by things like the Ukraine-Russian crisis. Whereas in fact, a lot of people are saying, no, well, actually the cost of my oil for my car, my petrol has actually declined in the last mm. six months, but the cost of my head of broccoli, cauliflower, some tomatoes, some asparagus, eggs, milk, yogurt, cheese, everything has gone up. Mm. That is domestic. Yes. Um, and unfortunately, that, that does, um, it does, let's just say it spoils the party. Yeah. I suppose uh, that's a great point that you raise there. That, I mean, anyone who's been to the gas station lately when even diesel was more expensive than uh, particular petrol <laughs> yes, i know i know and if you've tried to buy meat recently then you, you'll know that uh, yeah we are hurting um so i think the average person on the street probably thinks we are in a recession or almost heading towards a depression how, how, how would you uh, reassure people that that's not the case well if we if we look at the if we look at like interest rates at the moment so interest rates are going up and they've gone up at the, let's just say, the steepest number of hikes that we've had in this nation. So over a very short period of time, the Reserve Bank, our central bank, the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, has increased interest rates, or the OCR, the overnight Mm. cash rate. It's increased those rates at a level we've not experienced before. It's caught quite a few people by surprise. Those that have a floating rate mortgage know exactly what I'm talking about. They would have received more letters from the bank than they have in quite some period of time, giving them the unfortunate news that the um, rate of interest on their mortgage or their personal debt or business debt has gone up. And, you know, it's now factored that because of the rate of inflation seems to be a little bit more domestic mm. rather than internationally imported, it's the market is factored in that the Reserve Bank next month will um, increase interest rates by another Point seven five, mm, Wow. And then some commentators are picking that early in the new year that some are saying that they'll go another 0.25. Mm. Some are saying it'll be another 0.5 or a half percent. 
Now, you asked me, and I haven't really answered it, you asked me, so where are we heading? Is it positive? Yeah. Is it negative? Yeah. Now, the reason I'm talking about the, the climb there in interest rates is the fact that they're really just trying to dampen down inflation before it becomes something that becomes much more problematic and we move back to a period of the kind of mid 1980s or the late or the mid to late 1970s where inflation really had a head of steam up and it was really it was debilitating for those particularly those where their rate of wage inflation is less than the cost of living mm. so in other words you know like people just become poor uh, and their lifestyle declines yeah. but where I'm going to with this is if we actually look through the curve and we say we're not just looking at through to, say, next January or February. If we look out, say, two years' time, mm. the yield curve or, or interest rates are forecasting that they will come down at that point. So we just have a bit of a hump of pain, a, yep. a, a window here where it's difficult as we try to um, rein inflation back in. But yeah, to those that um, are exposed in the form of, um, I said, you know, where their wages aren't keeping up with the cost of goods that they, mm. um, you know, when they go to the supermarket each week, or the fact that they're on a floating rate mortgage, yeah, yeah. They're, they're feeling it. But so, so what you've got there, those that are on a fixed rate mortgage, they're not feeling too much of this at the moment. No. But those that are floating have definitely closed their wallet shut because, you know, they... They came out of this kind of COVID period with, you know, we had near on record levels of cash uh, across the economy and people's bank accounts. Well, the level of cash now is starting to dwindle because people are starting to eat into those reserves. Mm. I was watching the Prime Minister on TV uh, a few nights ago and she was being pressed on the uh, state of the economy and she reeled off a whole bunch of figures uh, from international markets as well. And it would appear that we're not as bad off as what some of those international markets are. In terms of international markets, if we look at the, and in fact, I think now I didn't read or hear those statements made by the Prime Minister that you've just mentioned, but the performance of the New Zealand stock market has actually been poorer or worse than the performance of our trading partners. Mm. So, um, so that kind of that one is a little bit that's debunked. Uh, in terms of, there are some of our trading partners and other Commonwealth nations that. Uh, have a higher rate of inflation yes, than us, indeed. but then there are others where it is less, such as our cousins over the ditch. Yeah, I think the inflation was where, what she was comparing us to. So did it make us feel better? Not. No, well, it doesn't because, I mean, it's it's a little bit like, like you know, you're in hospital and you've just lost a toe. Yes. And, um, and the doctor says, hey, it could be worse. That guy lost his arm. Mm. Look. Most of us think about ourselves and our family and our our, our our team members. If you're an employee, you know, you're concerned about your employees, about how we're all travelling. And there are those that are a bit more altruistic that actually have a genuine care and concern about their wider community. It doesn't give you a lot of comfort when people just say, hey, there's always someone worse off than you. Yes, Because exactly. you and I, we cannot control what is happening in another country. We don't live there. No. We don't spend our money there. We typically don't employ anyone there. Like it, it, it's it's outside our remit. Whereas we focus on what's happening in immediately in our in our household, in our street, in our community, and then across the country. So um, yeah, and people are doing it hard. It's not easy. So what you're saying is two years 
and we might see a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. It might be a bit brighter. Yeah, well, if we look at the yield curve on markets, that is exactly where they're forecasting. The yield curve in terms of that's like the debt market is huge and um, a lot of money moves in and out of that market and it's always a really, really good bellwether on where things will be in time. Yeah. Now, in your article, you said that economist Cameron uh, Bagri has put it, the alarm bells are ringing. What's that, <laughs> what, what's that doing for the person who's thinking, hmm, what am I going to invest in? I mean, because what do you invest in at the moment? We might think, oh, yeah, well, this is probably going to be safe. Is there such a thing as a safe investment at the moment? Well, uh, <laughs> you know, over the last period of time, over the last couple of quarters, it's actually been very difficult to find an asset class other than cash mm. that hasn't gone down. Mm. So, you know, your family home's declined. Yes. The value of your car will have declined. Uh, your collectibles would have declined. You know, things that you yes. could sell on Trade Me, they would have declined. Uh, your shares have dropped back. Even your bonds, your fixed income bonds, have declined in value over the period. And the only thing left that you've got is cash. Is that a dark cloud I see over your head when you're saying all this? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> it's always best to keep people yes. well informed. And uh, But the fact is that even if you had cash, if you then factor in inflation, so if you received a return of 4% in a term deposit or in cash, you pay tax on that, so it's now mm-hmm. down to a return of 3%. But inflation was cranking along at 73 Yeah. So you sit there and you go, well, I actually haven't maintained my capital with inflation. Mm. And, you know, this is what happens in a period of time like this. But what it requires is um, sage advice, cool hands, and a calm head and a clear head. Yes. Um, This is not the time to be making rash decisions. Um, For example, if if one – and I I wrote an article uh, recently about – the grass is greener on yes, the other side. You know, people look at, look at, for example, across at Australia mm-hmm. and go, boy, I can buy a house cheaper there. Um, you know, I hear that you can earn more there. You know, maybe I should make that happen. And my article was just saying, hey, look, you always need to read the fine print. Yep. You need to talk to people who have done it. You don't make decisions on a whim. For example, over the last 12 months, the New Zealand dollar has declined against the Australian mm. dollar by roughly 10%. And then... The Australian property market has not declined like ours has over the last 12 months. So our average property has declined by, if you're in Wellington, and these numbers are stale. These are like two months old mm. now to June. No, th- three months old. You know, over that 12 months, you would have lost 14.4% yes. on your Wellington property. So let's call it today 20%. Mm. So if you sold today and you left, say, Wellington, and you went to, say, Sydney, you would materialise a loss over the year on your family home after conveyancing fees, real estate agent, lawyer, etc. You'd be down 20% on the value. Mm. You then convert that currency into Australian dollars to buy a home over there. You lose another 10%, so now you're down 30%. Mm. So, look, there are not many people that can handle in their life making too many decisions where they lose 30% of their capital on a major hit like that. So, hence, I've been saying to people... The grasses, you know, like, yeah, and and that, and I haven't gone into any of the healthcare issues, the fact that you're effectively, you know, you don't have the same rights mm. as an Australian citizen. Indeed, you're a Kiwi. Now you mentioned that cash is well, you didn't quite yes. say the words cash is king, but uh, cash almost is king at the moment. Does that same thing go for uh, minerals like gold and diamonds? Are they still up there? Or uh, actually, well, I, I don't know what's happened with diamonds. It's not one that I I follow. I've only ever been in the market for diamonds once in my life, and that's when I <laughs> pr- proposed to my wife. Yes. Um, but in terms of gold, 
Um, gold's actually declined as well. Wow. Gold hasn't had a good run. And then, of course, and I'm amazed you haven't brought up Bitcoin. Bitcoin. No, it's on my list. Well, because, <laughs> well, of course, you know, Bitcoin, people said that it's a diversifier, it's, a non, it's an uncorrelated asset. Well, it's turned out to be, you know, it's encased in lead. Mm. It has dropped more than pretty much anything else. So, wow. um, so on that basis, again, another myth debunked. Yes. All right, so now we're going to move into something that I'm well aware of, retirement in New Zealand. And I heard someone on the on the old radio about a week ago, I was mm. talking to my wife, and I said, what is this guy talking about who was saying that, you know, if you want to maintain your lifestyle, you've got to have a million bucks in the bank. And, um, and I guess we take our main asset, which might yes. be our freehold, um, mm. the only freehold thing we got at that age. He might well be right that we have got a million bucks, but... The average person listening to that next is going to say, no one's got a million dollars. I mean, talk to us about retirement age and how do we um, accumulate enough wealth to make sure that when we do retire that we are going to live comfortably. Well, the key is to be making sure that you start your savings early. Now, those listeners that are older and when, I mean, you know, age these days, you know, a lot of us are going to live, you know, it's going to be a lot of, a lot of folk who are going to live to a hundred, yes, uh, in time. So you know, age is just it, it depends on how you treat it. So in other words, if I think about someone who's older, who's in their mindset, they're ten years off retirement, so they might be say fifty-five. Mm-hmm. That's quite a difficult bind when you basically don't yet have a financial plan and you haven't actually started to think about what retirement's going to look like mm. because you actually don't have that much time. You've got say ten years until you get government super. And you've probably got uh, 15 years until you pull up stunts on working. Because, yeah. look, you know, most people for their mental health and their, their, their mana and wellness are best to continue working yeah. post-65. But what I say to the younger folk is that if you were to save between 12 and 15% of your earnings – from the day you get your first job, mm. and I don't mean I don't mm. mean the milk run here, yeah, yeah, or um, you know, or the yes. paper run. I'm talking about from you know, like your first full time employment employed role. Um, if you were to save between twelve and fifteen percent, you will have no material change in your lifestyle in retirement. You'll transition quite well across to that lifestyle. But what are we going to do with that 12 to 15%? We're not just going to put that in the bank, are we? No, So no. would you be recommending what we do what with that 12 to 15%? Well, the 12 to 15% would be saved every fortnight or every month mm-hmm. um, through payroll. A little bit like um, KiwiSaver, yep. but KiwiSaver on steroids. Because KiwiSaver is only a contribution from the employee of 3% matched by the employer of 3, so 6. So you can see we're running a bit short. We need to near on double it um in fact the article that i was in the research i did recently actually the australian government across a number of flavors and colors by the way so not just Mm. the one that's in now not just the one prior in fact i think it was the one prior to that they were talking that they had in their mind that they would like to get australian super to 15 percent it's not a silly idea is it no no it's not and if you start early it's much simpler whereas Mm. sadly i meet a lot of kiwis where you know, like, like they do work really hard and they do save, but unfortunately the savings have been in the form of their home. Mm. And then when they get to a level where they're on top of the level of indebtedness and the they've made some money and they've, when I mean they've made some money, they've got some equity in their home, yeah. they often look to upgrade the home and move to a larger home and a better postcode. 
So unfortunately, they never get to the stage where they're actually saving independently yep. of the family home. Now, we know that KiwiSaver has come along since 2007 and people are starting to save, but the numbers are quite light. So what we, we always encourage people is to reach out to a financial advisor and get some advice on, firstly, where are you at? Like a warrant of fitness. Yeah. And the second one is then effectively like a car, like a service plan. So in other words, what can we do to optimize what we have so that we can get to the destination of choice in the future? And what will that destination look like? And what do we have to save to actually achieve that outcome? And I think it's like if people did that, it is in, it's very empowering. Would you always recommend, Nick, that people at some stage in their life invest in a home or might they be better off just to be renters and give them the opportunity to stash more money away in diverse yes. accounts? Yep. There are some folk that they are better not to own a home because they don't know where they're going to be. They may be quite fleet-footed on what they do in terms of employment and the lifestyle that they want to lead now and into the future. So, for example, Ken, if you said to me, Nick, I've decided, you know, if I've got 30, 30 summers left in New Zealand mm -hmm. and I want to spend each New Zealand summer in a different location, well, then if you had a million-dollar home, that may be quite limiting to what you are planning to do. Conversely, you know, that's the 30 years of summer. But imagine if you were like a freelancer or mm. you were like a code writer or someone where you, you move around and you like to follow the seasons and you also like to travel a little bit globally. A lot of young people are mm. like this. They don't want to be tied down with a single property. So they are better with, with good planning and with good discipline that they save independently and they build up a rather substantial investment mm. portfolio rather than having a smaller portfolio and a quite a large home and by the way what i've just explained may not be that common in new zealand you may not see many many of those folk but overseas i know a lot of people that are like that yeah i would imagine so especially yep. the cost of um, actually buying houses in some some of those countries so uh, we're just about out of time so what, what are your top tips for people at the moment who are looking at the uh, the news they're reading the newspaper they're, they're watching the the news on the telly and they're going oh my god what's going on what's your best bit of advice for them to well, the first bit of advice is that anything that you read that's in the press today or in the paper tomorrow was no doubt drafted and created a number of days ago. So look, it's it's relatively stale by the time it gets to us. Um, I mean, even for me, where I'm buying really expensive research uh, and media material, even that is a little bit stale. Mm. So what I'm saying to you is that, you know, newspapers sell for a reason. And it's because, you know, fear does sell. Yes, indeed. And the fact is, like, if you think that the markets at the moment, and the markets being, say, let's look at, say, shares, the stock market is back about 20%. Now, that's what's called a technical correction. You know, that's a material decline in wealth. Mm -hmm. We've had, a, now, I don't know what the numbers are going to look like in September, but don't be surprised if the last 12 months see our local property market back by 15%. Mm. So, again, we've had a material correction. But that's already mm. the now. So people are writing and talking about a recession that may come in 6 to 12 months' time. Mm. And I'm, I sit there and say, well, in your portfolio or on your balance sheet, 
it's actually already occurred. Mm. You've actually already had a material correction in wealth now. Mm. So if we think, and sorry to, as I, I know we're almost out of time, but I'll just leave you with this. Remember in the global financial crisis, which was pretty nasty, in September, October of 2008, the stock market tanked mm. by about, well, about 35% odd, if my memory serves me correctly. Now, everything else was just ticking along in New Zealand. People were saying, oh, that's just a U.S. problem. Well, it turned up here, and we were still reading about receiverships and liquidations into the period of early 2012. Mm. And yet, way back in April of, April of 2009, the stock market started to rally, and thereon in had a 10-year period mm. of halcyon results. Yes, indeed. So what I'm getting at, there is a disconnect between what can happen in the economy that you and I feel day to day versus what happens in the markets in our KiwiSaver mm. or in our investment portfolio or other assets that we hold that are of an investment nature. So I always encourage people to say, you know, what you're reading in the paper about what's going to happen in six months, your portfolio is already reflecting that view now. So therefore, you're better to remain in your seat, yep. have a calm head, read the newspaper if you want to be entertained. But seriously, at the bottom of the world, to think that we're getting news that's going to be, um, that's, you know, um, some type of soothsayer, uh, crystal ball, it's just a fallacy. Yeah. Um, people are better to just, Stick with their plan, look after what you can, look after your own, and let your portfolio do what it's meant yeah. to do. Like you say, be there for the long haul. 100%. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and you know, and we were just talking about, you know, all these people are going to live to 100. So even if you were 65, you were coming up for retirement. You're going to get your set of, you know, your gold watch or your silver spoons, teaspoon set. <laughs> You're on the planet for another 35 oh, no, years. So, so you can afford to look through the news, the news cycle now, and you can afford to say, yep, I know what the long-term returns are. Because at the moment, you know, the return on bonds today, because, you know, the bonds have come back in price, New Zealand government bonds included, the forward-looking expected return. So you went onto the market today and you bought a basket of high credit quality, like really good stuff like high credit quality companies and governments around the world, and you just bought those bonds and held them to maturity, the yield to maturity today is the best that it has mm. been since about July of 2015. And you buy those bonds and hold them to maturity. Yeah. And yet people at the moment, you know, like people go, wow, well, but those New Zealand government bonds declined in, on paper last year. Now, you know, they've, they've dropped in value. I, I don't want to own something that's dropped in value. And I, and I said to him, yeah, but the yield to maturity now is the best that it's been in seven years. So if we look at the smart money in the world, the institutional money, it is pouring into their asset class. Like it's record inflows into into global bonds. And yet at a retail sense in New Zealand, we've got evidence now from the Financial Market Authority, the FMA, showing on the latest KiwiSaver survey, people are piling out of conservative funds. Mm. So just as the yield to maturity is the best it's been in seven years... Yeah. People are leaving. Go figure. It's really sad. But again, they just need to calm, cool head and seek some advice. And on that, just remind our listeners, Nick, we want some sound financial advice. Where do we get it? You can come and see us at 204 Encadamu Road in Hastings. That's the black basalt stone building with the tartan logo. Or you can come and see us in Wellington on the terrace. <laughs> <laughs> 